1: touchdown. Fell into the middle of that line, and it's a touchdown. Big return for Crowder, 85 yards. There was contact with the quarterback, and it's incomplete.
0: They got pressure on Prescott. It was Adams who came blitzing
1: in. He'll hit immediately when he got the handoff, you know and what? it's the Q-inator. Oh my gosh. Listen, thank you.
2: From the TOJ Digital Studio, this is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. And we are going to talk some more Jamal Adams because more things are coming out. We've got more perspectives to get to, including the owner, the operator, the lead reporter, the whole shebang over at JetsInsider.com. And, of course, above all that, a very big deal, Mr. Chris Nimbly. Chris, you picked one heck of a day to keep your phone off all day, huh?
1: (laughs) Yeah, this, this is how life works. You know, I'm like, I decided to come down to the shore for the weekend, uh, uh, get one nice last long weekend in before, uh, you know, I just have to start dealing with training camp stuff. Uh, I said, okay, I'm going to shut my phone off completely, not going to look at the internet at all. I wake up this morning and turn my phone on and I see, oh, okay, that was a bad day to choose to do that.
2: It certainly was because, of course, this ended up being the biggest trade in years for the Jets. I would say, at the very least, it's the most notable trade since that trade that landed the Jets the number three pick in the 2018 draft to go up and get Sam Darnold. But this was something. We talked about this on the show yesterday with Joe Caparoso. The Jets essentially got two ones and a three. Then they flipped a four back in order to get Bradley McDougal, who will come in and step in right away for Jamal Adams. Now, this is an obvious downgrade. There's no question about it. And Seattle gave up what they gave up to get Jamal Adams for a reason because Bradley McDougal is a solid safety, but he's nowhere in Jamal Adams' league. But to be honest, Chris, if you look around at this roster with the Jets right now, A solid safety is going to be fine. They have much bigger worries. We've talked about this. They still need to do some long-term work on this offensive line. They still need help at wide receiver over the long haul. They still have no real outside pass rush threat. They've still got nothing in terms of... Proven long-term answer at cornerback Now this makes them worse In the short run no question because You go into 2020 with Bradley McDougal instead of Jamal Adams And those picks are going to be In 2021 and 2022 So they won't be able to start Reaping the benefits until next season But over the long haul Joe Douglas is looking at this as a six-year project because he has a six-year contract. And so for him to get that haul was remarkable. And it certainly fits his vision of trying to build out this roster in the way that he thinks it should be built out. The Ravens model, so to speak, over the next few years. I was talking to you off the air before we started recording And we both said about this deal, the interesting thing is that Jamal Adams huffing and puffing and stamping his feet is what ultimately lit a fire to get this deal done. But if the Seahawks had called, even before Adams started asking about trades, before the trade deadline last year and everything, and offered this package, Joe Douglas probably would have taken it anyway. I don't think you could turn down a package like this. Two firsts and a third for a safety And as Rich Simini pointed out at ESPN.com today, Chris, all due respect to Adams, who's an outstanding player, but he's not a pass rusher. He's not a lockdown corner. He's not a quarterback. He's not a left tackle to pay a guy the kind of money that he was asking for and give up that kind of haul. Only one team in the league was going to do that, and it was the Seattle Seahawks, and that's because they value the secondary the way that no other team in the NFL does. They look at the secondary as the key to the defense being successful, and they see Jamal Adams as Cam Chancellor 2.0. They think that he can be the missing piece to help take them over the top to the Super Bowl. And so sometimes it's just a matter of finding that one general manager who will give in to your demands, and Joe Douglas found that one general manager, and it was John Schneider.
1: Yeah, this is, you look at the way that Seattle operates. Um, they they love to trade for players. They like to trade out of their first-round picks. They don't value draft picks as much as everybody else. Um, then you factor in, like you said, that they – Uh, value uh, secondary more. And they like to build from the back forward more. Um, And it just made all the sense in the world. And I like to say, if before Jamal ever complained uh, last year, in the middle of the season, before the deadline, when he heard Joe Douglas was shopping him, before any of that happened, if you came to us and said, there's this offer out there, I would have pounced on it. And again, I've talked about this all the time. How much nobody's going to value safeties and secondary players more than me because I do have a bias towards that, but it's still just a safety. And the safety does not have that much impact when it comes to determining wins or losses. And we're not even talking about Ed Reed or Troy Palomalu here. He's not the free safety, he's a box safety who can do a lot of stuff, who can cover tight ends, who can blitz. Cool that's going to make him more expensive and he's going to help a lot, but you're not, he's not going to drastically alter your win loss uh, total right now. The jets, yes on the field, they're not as good with McDougal as the uh, replacement for him. But I argue that all any team needs is a good, solid safety. You don't need anything more than that. You need the rest of the team needs to be better and you just need good and solid at that position. Anything else is just bonus, and you're going to sit there and especially, we'll talk about this more, but the you know six months ago, talking about signing him, locking him up long-term makes more sense just from the fact that you don't want to get in the habit of drafting players, watching them turn into stars, and then just being like, no, that's too expensive. But there's going to be a forty million decrease to the salary cap next year, and so paying him at that point makes a whole a lot uh, less sense at with that in consideration. And now you get to take these draft picks, hopefully spend them on some offense, and you can actually build the team this way. Uh, of course, Joe Douglas is going to have to hit on the draft picks. That's the the rebuttal anytime. Oh, but draft picks are meaningless unless you hit on them. Yes, of course, that's always the case. But if Joe Douglas can't hit on these draft picks with these extra draft picks, then they were going to be doomed with Jamal or doomed without Jamal. The, the, the future of this team rests in Joe Douglas's ability to draft and uh, make smart free agency decisions. And now he's got a better chance to hit on his draft picks because he's got more of them. He's got three more, um, you know, premium draft picks to work with two of them. First rounders, late first rounders, of course, but first rounders and the third round pick that's uh, three more chances. Um, So if he missed on uh, one or two of the, uh, of their regular picks, he's got another chance to get it. Um, And again, if, if Joe Douglas can't draft, then this team was going to be doomed no matter what. So I, I just can't sit there, even it, it taking away all the extracurricular, the, the whining, the complaining, making a scene on social media, throwing everybody under the bus, even excluding all, all that, I cannot possibly muster up a counter argument to the Jets doing this trade. I just can't do it. It makes more sense for Seattle. Seattle thinks they're close. And this Jamal as an extra piece to, you know, put the bow on it and wrap it up makes a lot more sense. Um, We talk about this a lot with Jamal. Jamal, what, what does people always say? Jamal is a chess piece. Now, this my little mind always wants to say, not a chess piece. He's a queen. We're not talking about chess pieces because pawns are chess pieces too, and everybody's a chess piece. Uh, I mean, pawns a pawn, but he's the queen. You can move and line up and send in any direction you want. But if you ever played chess and you're stuck where all you have is pawns, your king and a queen left, but your rooks, bishop, uh, and horse, a knight are gone, you're gonna lose. If that's, if that's all you have is that queen left, you're going to end up losing. The, the queen only helps when you still have the rest of your uh, completed roster at that point, or at least enough of them. Um, so ha- having Jamal's luxury and to have that luxury on such a bare roster, is, it, it doesn't do you as much good. It, it does the Seahawks a lot more good. Um, now down the road, you know, if Joe Douglas goes and builds a team correctly, you could be like, eh, it'd be really nice to have Jamal now. But again, that's a cherry on top type of thing. As much as I love safeties, as much as I enjoy watching them, as much as I think they're more important than most people do, they're still not that important. And especially when we're talking about wins and losses throughout a season, it's just not that valuable.
2: Who knew Chris was Bobby Fisher's long-lost brother?
1: Got a little bit of a chess thing there, you know.
2: (laughs) You learn something new every day. But, Chris, it's interesting because you were talking about how if Joe Douglas can't draft, then... This doesn't matter anyway, because if he can't draft, the Jets are doomed. Daniel Jeremiah put out a really good tweet, because remember, Jeremiah and Douglas were together in the Baltimore front office. We've talked about this in the past. He said, I see a lot of comments about lack of value in late first-round picks. Jody spent the majority of his scouting career in Baltimore. Here are some of the players Baltimore landed in the late first. Ray Lewis picked 26. Todd Heap picked 31. Ed Reed, pick 24, Ben Grubbs, pick 29, Michael Orr, pick 23, Jimmy Smith, pick 27. Now, this doesn't mean that the picks that the Jets got from Seattle are all going to hit. Obviously, it's a crapshoot in that regard But the point is, if you know what you're doing You can take those late first round picks And turn them into useful pieces And listen, not every single one of those guys was a star I wouldn't necessarily say that Ben Grubbs was a star But he was an important piece On that Baltimore team. And that's what people are missing here. If you get two important pieces with those picks, even if one of the first round picks isn't great, you get one with the first round pick and another pretty solid player with the third round pick. Then all of a sudden, you've got good players at presumably meaningful positions that are under team control for cheap over the next couple of years. And as you said, Chris, that becomes very important going forward because of what's going on with the salary cap. It's sort of in flux right now. It's going to be a lot lower next year. Who knows what happens going forward? And so that gives the team a lot of flexibility. Just to circle back to the two first-round picks, remember the last time the Jets traded A player for two first round picks, it was Keyshawn Johnson after the 1999 season heading into the 2000 draft One of those picks hit huge, it was John Abraham, the other pick didn't It was Anthony Becht who was an okay blocker for a few years and then moved on after his contract was up You can't expect to necessarily hit on both, but the fact that you now have that flexibility Gives you the ability to have The pieces you need to go and Fill the positions that you desperately Need to fill, the ones that we talked about before And Chris, it doesn't even necessarily Mean that you have to use both picks For example, you could use them To move up and down the board if you want To as well, A Sewell From Oregon, who a lot of people feel Could be the best tackle prospect to Come out in years, he's interesting Because he's probably going to go in the top Five, you would assume the Jets Aren't going to be bad enough to pick there but now they have ammo where if they want to trade up and get Penny Sewell and then say put him opposite Makai in at tackle, you have Cam Clark there as a guard, you could be building an excellent offensive line. This is just one theoretical that I'm getting at. It's going to be really interesting to see what they do now in terms of money and flexibility with this roster because I don't expect the Jets to spend much, at least right now. We had heard they were cash-strapped before all this stuff happened, Chris. And that has to be factoring into this because, like you said, a lot of things changed. I think that the Jets fully intended to sign Jamal Adams at some point, but a lot of circumstances changed that were surrounding this. And I think that on top of that, the fact that Jamal Adams' demand seemed to be somewhat unreasonable... Didn't help matters either But if you look at what the Jets have done This offseason, with the exception of Connor McGovern, who was given more than just A glorified one-year deal Every other signing they made was a glorified one-year deal And they didn't really commit a lot of money To anybody other than McGovern And even he didn't get a huge contract So I don't think this means They're going to go out and get you Davey and Clowney Or anything like that for people that are thinking Oh, they could go out now, they have extra picks They can go trade for Ngakwe or sign Clowney I don't think either one of those things are going to happen But this does give the Jets a lot more flexibility And it does ease the burden If indeed the Jets, as many have claimed Are cash strapped
1: Yeah, I could see them going out And being like, you know what Let's go get Logan Ryan right now I could see them, you know Maybe we're willing to pay an extra million To Logan Ryan for the year now That's about it That's about as far as I could see this going As far as them spending uh, Next year Or for this season But you make a good point about the draft picks too, because they could package them. They could move up. They could, uh, they could trade down and they could turn them into those three picks into seven picks. You know, there they could turn one of them into two or three extra picks and then use the other ones. This gives them more options, more flexibility, um, especially being able to see how things develop and then making decisions from, from there. Um, and again, He's a safety. It's only gonna help so much. You can take this these picks, you can spend them on more premium positions. You can go get more offensive linemen. You can go get uh, somebody you think could could be a, a legit pass rusher or a cornerback, uh, you know, a shutdown quarterback. You can get uh, an actual some more receivers for Sam Darnold. There's so many things you can do with these picks, where with Jamal all you could do was pay him a whole bunch of money and have him be a safety. Yes, he does more than your regular box safety, but he's still just a box safety. This gives you more options to improve, more flexibility. Um, you know, if, if they're eyeing um, an offensive tackle, they can give him the ammo to trade up for him or it can sit there and they can say, okay, we'll take the next guy and then we'll use this other pick on something else. It gives them the option, again, let's say they pick in the top ten next year. Uh, They can spend that earlier pick on whatever they want, and then they can say, okay, we'll be able to get the offensive lineman guy with the Seattle pick. There's so many different things this opens up. And, again, Jamal helps you now, but the rest of this team isn't built to help you now. So these draft picks can ideally help for the future – paired with everything else that you think and hope Joe Douglas will do, and that will be a lot uh, more beneficial down the road. Again, Joe Douglas is going to have to hit on those picks, but he's going to have to hit on the draft regardless, because if he kept Jamal Adams and he can't draft with Jamal Adams, it's going to be just as bad anyway.
0: The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a hundred casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prices. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. Eighteen plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Don't you love an extra hundred dollars in your pocket?
2: Play like a jet. Play like a jet. Chris, I think that the people that are saying that Jamal Adams got his way and this just proves that there's leverage... In star players regardless of what Their contractual situation is Are missing the bigger picture here Because I think Joe Douglas played this Perfectly he said we Fully intend to keep Jamal Adams unless We get blown out of the water and That's exactly what Seattle ended up doing Because like we said I think that Joe Douglas would have taken this trade no matter When it was offered even if Jamal Adams Wasn't somebody that was complaining About a trade it's just too good of a trade To turn down the situation Kind of mirrors something that we We were talking about before we started recording where I was saying, let's say I have a house and I love my house and I don't want to sell my house, but somebody comes to me and says, I know somebody that really, really wants your house and they're willing to pay big and I say, okay, I don't want to sell my house, but if you blow me out of the water, then fine. I'd consider selling the house. Now let's say my house is worth $350,000 and this guy comes back to me later and says, I have somebody that's want to pay you $700,000. Well, I love my house, but... Come on now they're willing to pay me twice The value I have to sell it at that Point I think that's what happened here It wasn't that Jamal Adams was Kicking and screaming and getting his Way because he caused The scene I think that certainly made It more likely that they'd be willing to Listen but they still were only Going to settle for a blockbuster Package he was going to report To camp he even said it in that Article with the daily news that Regardless he was going to be there for camp so It's not like he was going to hold out Joe Douglas made it known. Yes, Jamal Adams could be had, but you got to pay big, and that's what happened. So I think Joe Douglas handled this perfectly, and I think that anybody that's saying that this just proves that star players can always get their way are wrong because if somebody didn't step up with an offer like this, Jamal Adams would have been on the 2020 Jets.
1: Yeah, the the reason why I was still saying that I thought Jamal would be here is because I didn't think anybody would give up enough. And I said it before, uh I I said Seattle was the one team because they've been willing to do this in the past and the way that they value draft picks, that's the one team that might be willing to do it. And then for him to still be able to get that haul right after Adams came out and blasted Gase after he's been throwing everybody else under the bus uh, for him to still be able to get that type of haul is impressive because I didn't think he would have been able to get it before that. Uh, before Jamal started all this stuff, uh, yes, Jamal did get his way. The the winding worked for him, but it's only because Seattle was able to give up enough. Uh, I I wrote it in in the article I wrote. I opening uh, the lead is ja- Jamal Adams finally got what he wanted because the Seahawks gave Joe Douglas what he wanted, mm-hmm. and that's the bottom line. If the Seahawks weren't going to be willing to offer up enough for joe douglas then jamal would still be a jet but the seahawks came to the table and they brought all the goodies with them and joe douglas said hey i can't i can't turn this down this deal two first rounds a third round pick and a a really solid competent safety and return for a really really great safety yeah no i can't turn that down um and he would have Accepted that deal If Jamal never said a word publicly um, That The deal got done because Seattle Offered up enough for Joe Douglas That's it, point blank, end of story The end, period, explanation point Whatever else you want to do
2: The only reason that you could say That Jamal's pouting had anything To do with this trade is because Teams probably wouldn't have even thought To call and inquire If Adams had Correct. made it known That he wanted out, but I think that regardless of whether or not Adams wanted out, this deal gets made if Seattle offers it. I just don't think they would have offered it because they would have felt that Adams wasn't available. But knowing that he could be had for the right price, they decided to step up. So I think what you said is perfect, Chris. Jamal Adams got what he wanted only because Joe Douglas got what he wanted. Joe Douglas remained in control the entire time. I want to touch on something else, Chris, because I know that you've got a rant in you and I want to hear it. I'm going to let you unleash the fans. Le'Veon Bell speaking out about... Jamal Adams. Jamal Adams somebody that fashioned himself a leader. He's the culture changer. He's the guy that's going to make a team a winner. Well, first of all, the Jets are 16-32 and in his three years here. Not his fault, but it just goes to show you, as you said, a safety can only do so much no matter how good he is. But for a guy who is supposed to be a leader, a culture changer, all that, he goes out, he recruits Le'Veon Bell. And then within months of Le'Veon Bell getting here, he's requesting a trade or at least publicly complaining. He didn't formally request the trade until... About A month or two ago, but still he was saying that he'd be open to a trade as far as the trade deadline story went with the Dallas Cowboys. Once he heard that he publicly started pining to get out of here and go to Dallas. But the other thing here is the idea that the fans are somehow in the wrong for this. Look, you and I have talked about this. The fans take things way too seriously sometimes, and obviously people step way overboard. You should never make threats. You should never say anything super personal to the guy. And you should certainly stay within the bounds of what is rational discourse. But the guy did everything short of drag the Super Bowl III trophy through the parking lot at Florin Park as Mike Lombardi joked on his podcast. There's no way that Jets fans were not going to see this for what it was, which was a spit in the face to them and a spit in the face to the organization. And he can spin it however he wants, That's not personal to Jets fans, but fans will never take it that way because they're connected to the team. So when Adams is calling himself a leader who's going to bring the Jets out of the doldrums and then he's publicly pining to get out of here, what do you think the fans are going to see it as? And for Le'Veon Bell, who gets recruited here by Adams and then Adams is all of a sudden saying he wants. To get out of here How's Le'Veon Bell supposed to feel Well he made it known on his Twitter How he feels There was a back and forth between the two Touched on it a little bit last night With Joe Caporoso But then there was another back and forth After we recorded So Chris I wanted to bring you in on this because I know you've got plenty to say about both the fans and Le'Veon Bell's reaction to this. Normally, you're in the camp of fans are way too serious about this. They need to cool off. But Jamal Adams may be the exception there. And certainly, Le'Veon Bell has every right to be upset.
1: Yeah, uh, absolutely. And first, I'll start with the, the Jets have uh, finished below 500 and each of Jamal's three years here. They can finish below 500 without him as well um second I yeah I I think p- fans in general just take sports too seriously and too personally like I get being all caught up in the moment especially as the game's going on but then when you lash out at players you're taking it too personally these players don't know you they're not doing anything to bother you specifically so As someone who covers the sport and has to deal with the fans, and is kind of a middle uh, man between the fans and uh, the the team a lot, it it can wear on you, and it's just, like, exhausting. Stop taking this stuff so personally. I know you care. I'm not telling you not to care, but don't act like it's a personal affront to you. The way that Jamal has handled himself from being drafted to – culture's changed, I'm here, well, I'm going to take us back to the promised land, uh, to professing himself as some type of leader, and then doing this, and hes you know he still thinks of himself as a leader. I don't begrudge players for making a mess and try to use whatever leverage they have uh, to, to find to get paid or to find a better spot for them. I never begrudge players for doing that. But you can't do that and call yourself a leader. And, and I guarantee you, if somebody asks Jamal Adams right now if he thinks he's a leader, he's going to say, not only am I a leader, I'm the greatest leader. But you can't lead this way. This is not leadership. Um, the, the, the stuff with Le'Veon Bell is infuriating to me. Um, when I looked and I saw that, that tweet to Le'Veon, uh, his response, where he just said, noted, see you week 14. Man, you did all that. Le'Veon's words, hooting and hollering, spent all that time recruiting him. And I I know how much Jamal put in to recruit Le'Veon Bell. Le'Veon Bell was getting worn down by it, and he respected it at the time. He was like, hey, I, I feel wanted. I feel appreciated. He did all of that, claiming to be this leader, and you come join me. We're going to turn this around. And then he got one little hint that teams were calling to ask about trades for him, and he just flipped it. I want out. I want out. And now he's spent the entire offseason claiming victim that he's been done wrong, and this team doesn't do exactly what I want, and throwing his teammates under the bus and everybody else under the bus. And then on Bell – there's been the one person that has come out and defended him every step along the way. When uh, Jamal first made a stink uh, around the trade deadline last year and Jamal didn't want to talk to us reporters, it was Le'Veon Bell who came out and defended him. It was Le'Veon Bell who tried to talk to us about it. When a couple weeks ago, a month ago, who knows time anymore? When – Jamal brought it all up again. It was Le'Veon Bell uh, again, coming out to defend him, to speak up for him. And then after all that, Jamal's just going to hit him with noted, see you week 14? No, I just don't believe that you treat people that way. You don't – you have – we talk about this a lot just in society, about people being a good person, not be, uh, whatever. Just be decent. What Jamal did and the way he did – Le'Veon Bell, that's not decent. That's bad. That's awful. That is the opposite of a leader. That is gross. It is, it is embarrassing. He should be embarrassed for the way that he handled this every step of the way. And for somebody that you recruited, you said claimed to be friendly with, all this stuff, you're just going to have that type of response to that? Because I, I read that, and I felt Le'Veon Bell's reaction. I could feel, oh, 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 really? Really? After all, there's that, just that? No, that's, that's so dismissive. It's so just gross. You don't treat people like that. That's just decency. Just be decent. And Le'Veon again, Le'Veon went out of his way numerous times to talk to Jamal. Not only did Le'Veon come and defend Jamal for us to him, he picked up the phone, he called Jamal and he tried to talk to Jamal about stuff and Jamal couldn't be bothered to just pick up the phone to Le'Veon and be like, yeah, you know what? My bad. I, I know what I did, how I got you into this position, and now I had to do what I had to do for me. He couldn't do that. He couldn't do that. And you know why he couldn't do that? Because Jamal, in his heart, knows he's wrong. And I don't care about any of the uh, extra stuff. That's the part that's infuriating to me, and I'm infuriated for Le'Veon Bell on that point. Because that's just, you. it's ridiculous to treat people that way and just to be that dismissive of somebody when you know you're in the wrong. And he was absolutely in the wrong.
2: I remember, Chris, when I was in radio and there was a sales manager who was a friend of mine who had taken a job at a new radio station and he called me to recruit me. He said, come in here. I need you. I need you to help me with the production here. I need it to sound a certain way, and it's not going to get done right if you're not the one doing it. I trust you. I need you on board. And so I said, okay, I trust you. We've been friends a long time. And I went in there, and I started to work with him on things. And things were going well until a couple months in, and he ended up having some trouble there. And he called me, and he outlined for me, okay, I know I brought you in here and I fully intended to see this through, but unfortunately, situation has changed because of A, B, C, and D. He explained it all to me and then said, I'm going to leave. <clears throat> I don't expect you to leave. You don't have to do anything just because I'm going. I just didn't want you to think that I brought you in here only to hang you out to dry like this. I wanted you to know exactly why I'm doing this. And we're fine, we're still friends to this day because he leveled with me like that. It appears Le'Veon Bell was not handled that way by Jamal Adams and people can say we don't know what was said in private, which is true, but Le'Veon Bell's reaction publicly on Twitter tells you all you need to know about how he feels he was treated in this situation because, Chris, like you said, when you treat somebody like that, they're not going to take it kindly and certainly Le'Veon Bell is going to be looking forward to that Week 14 matchup. As I was joking to somebody, if there's any justice in the football world, Le'Veon Bell will run behind Makai Becton, who will fling Jamal Adams into the 15th row in Seattle as Bell dances into the end zone for a touchdown. We'll see if that happens because I have a feeling the Jets are probably going to lose that game. It's on the road, and Seattle's a much better team anyway. But at least if we could get a moment like that, it would put a smile on all of our faces and particularly on Bell's face. Chris, we've got plenty more to talk about with this story, and we're going to be doing a mailbag over the weekend. So looking forward to that. I'm sure we're going to get a lot of questions. But I know you've also got a ton up right now at JetsInsider.com. So what do you got cooking? I know you wrote something personally. Is Jack writing something? What do you got?
1: Yeah, right now I got uh, my thoughts on the Jamal trade. I I left the Le'Veon Bell stuff out uh, for now. I might get to that and uh, expand on my thoughts a little more there. Right now I got that up, and we're going to start pumping out a lot of uh, training camp preview stuff coming along now. Um, And then we'll also look towards for what I'm going to – the next couple days, two or three days, I'm going to do something more about, you know, trying to project the future here, what they can do with those extra draft picks, how they can make up for the loss of Jamal. Yeah, so I have plenty of content up there right now, but right now I got uh, the Jamal. The reason why I like this trade for them, why it makes all, all the sense in the world, Um, and it's all up there on the site. So check
2: it out. As was the case before, Chris, and is even more the case now, this franchise is in the hands of Joe Douglas. So if he makes good use of those picks, his own picks, the Seattle picks, some of the picks he got from the Giants and the Patriots, then this team could be headed into the right direction and could be in the playoff mix and perhaps even better than that for the next bunch of years. If not, well, then somebody else will be coming in next to clean up the mess. But it sure looks like Joe Douglas has a better handle on this than the general managers who preceded him. So fingers crossed that he can do for this team with those late-round picks what Ozzie Newsome, his mentor in Baltimore, did with the late-round picks that he had. Chris Nimbley of JetsInsider.com. Thanks so much for coming on. Really appreciate it. Make sure that you are following Chris on Twitter at CNimbley and at JetsInsider and read his very big deal work at JetsInsider.com. If you haven't had a chance to give us a five-star review on iTunes yet, if you could go ahead and do that for us, really appreciate it. Easy way to help out the show if you like what we're doing. doesn't take you much time, doesn't cost you any money, but it goes a long way to help us out. So if you could do that for us, we would be quite grateful. And the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts, you know where to go. That's Turn on the Jets Digital and turnonthejets.com.
0: It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win?